Let's turn over to the book of Galatians, chapter 3. Actually, let me just summarize Galatians real quickly. This is going to be a miracle because Galatians is a powerful book. You know, the book of Romans is Paul teaching on the grace of God. And in my estimation, it's like a masterpiece. It's just, it's systematic. It's theological. It is just, if a person was to read and understand the book of Romans, I guarantee you, it would bring you out of legalism and into grace. There is no way that you could stay a legalist, but it is nice and it's theological and stuff. The book of Galatians is making the same point, but Paul is brutal in Galatians. These were people that he brought the gospel to them and they received the gospel. And then after he left, some other people came in and said, oh yeah, you need the grace of God and you need his mercy, but you also have to live holy. And if you don't live holy, God won't bless you. And Paul was so upset. He just said things in the book of Galatians that uh, are brutal. I mean, it was like he was mad. He was letting these people have it. It's the exact same points that are being made in Romans, but in Galatians, it's mean. It's just, and I kind of like it because you, you can't miss it. I mean, there is no way to miss his point. Like, let me just use a couple of verses here in the first chapter. He didn't spend very much time saying hi. He just went straight for the juggler vein. And he said this in verse six, he says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. You know, again, I could spend an hour teaching on this, but grace is the gospel. It's using those terms interchangeably. If a person is saying, repent or else, turn or burn, that's the gospel. That's not the gospel. The gospel is specifically talking about the grace of God whereby we receive salvation. Telling a person that there's a hell and that you're going to go to hell if you don't repent is not the gospel. It's true, but it's not the gospel. And the gospel is the power of God. And he says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. He's saying it's really not another gospel. It's not like, uh, you know, some religions say, oh, Jesus is nobody. And you got to go through Hare Krishna, Hare Lam, Buddha, or somebody else. It's not like that. That would be easy to deal with. But this is a perversion of the gospel where people said, oh yeah, Jesus was God. Jesus did die for our sins. And yes, you need what Jesus provided, but you need more than what Jesus provided. You also have to be holy. And unless you do certain things, God won't bless you and honor you. It's much easier to deal with the perversion of the gospel than it is just an absolute total renouncing of the gospel. You know, if somebody came to you and tried to tell you, oh, Jesus isn't enough and you, you can't get saved by Jesus, Most of you in here would reject that, but people in religion have come and said, oh yes, it's essential that you have Jesus and Jesus paid a portion of it, but you also have to be holy. And unless you keep every sin confessed, if you die with an unconfessed sin, you'll go to hell, even though you've accepted Jesus, Jesus isn't enough. You have to do this, this, and this. You know what? Most people in here have been exposed to that and to some degree or another have accepted all of these things. You'll pray and say in the name of Jesus. And yet 
you'll sit there and, and the devil will come and say, but you haven't been studying the Bible. You hadn't been praying. You hadn't been holy the way you should. And you'd say, oh God, I'm sorry. I know now why you aren't moving in my life. You know what? That's a perversion of the gospel. You prayed in the name of Jesus, which means because of who he is, only because of his righteousness, only because of his goodness. And yet you submit there and yield to condemnation and doubt because you haven't been the person you should be. That is a perversion of the gospel. And most people sitting in this room have been perverted by that at some time or another. Praise God. Maybe you've renewed your mind and are getting over it. But you know what? Most of us have been exposed to that. I certainly was. Man, I lived under a tremendous amount of guilt and condemnation knowing God could do it, but not believing he would do it because I didn't deserve it. That's a perversion of the gospel. And in verse eight, he says, but though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. I'm sure that the Galatians just were shocked. Like that can't mean what it says. He couldn't mean this. And so he says in the next verse, as we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that which you have preached, let him be accursed. Just in case anybody thought that, oh, he couldn't have meant what he said. He repeated himself so that there would be no mistakes. Paul said, if anybody is preaching anything else, if they're telling you that you have to earn the favor of God, that God won't answer your prayer because you've got an unconfessed sin in your life, because you haven't done something right, that God won't move in your life. He's liable to let you die of cancer because you haven't been studying the Bible and praying, or you got mad at your wife and this is God's punishment. If anybody's telling you that, let them be accursed. How strong can you get? You know, there are certain things that you can compromise on. Some of you may not agree with this, but I, it's like a target. You know, there's a bullseye. Those things are the things that are the heart of the gospel. You don't compromise on this, but then you go out and out and out. And the further you get away from that bullseye, the less important things are. And some things there are opinions about, like the end times. Some people have it all figured out and they know exactly what's going to happen. To me, the end times, it's important or it wouldn't be in the Bible, but it's not one of those central things. And you could sit there and we could disagree over whether it's pre-tribulation, post-tribulation, mid-tribulation. I'm a pan-millennialist myself. I believe it's all going to pan out, praise God. (laughs) And I'm going to be on the first train out of here whenever it leaves. But you know what? Some people... Or to them, that is a central thing of the gospel. I don't believe that is a central thing. I believe there's people that believe we're going before the tribulation. And then there's people that believe we're going after the tribulation. And you know what? I believe we're all going to make it. When we get there, we'll readjust our charts. Amen. (laughs) But there's some things you don't compromise on. And one of the things you don't compromise on is people who are sitting there saying, oh yes, you have to receive Jesus. But it's also the way you get baptized. It's also whether or not you go to this church or whether you go to that church. And they, uh, you have to do these things. And in a sense, they put the burden of salvation upon yourself and not upon Jesus. And you cannot compromise that issue. And as a whole, the body of Christ has compromised this issue. And most of us are preaching and tacking on all kinds of things. They talk about the way you should dress and how you got to have, if you're a woman, your hair piled up on your head and wear tons of powder so that it'll make it look like you don't have rosy cheeks. And so you put on all of this makeup to look like you don't have any makeup on. 
and you have to wear your <laughs> sleeves down to your um, wrist. And yet, you know, all this stuff. And we've added all of these things to it. And you can't wear gold and jewelry. Somebody says, well, that's over in 1 Peter chapter 3. Well, in that same verse where it says that don't let it be the plaiting hair of the hair or the putting out of gold, it says in that same verse, or the wearing of apparel. <laughs> if you are going to forbid jewelry because it says don't plait your hair and put on gold, that same verse says don't put on apparel. It's not saying you don't wear gold and jewelry. It's just saying don't make that your focus, but let it be the hidden man of the heart. And yet religion has taken this and said that you can't wear gold and jewelry and you can't, you know, wear makeup and do this stuff. Man, the way I look at it is if your barn needs painting, paint it. If it needs two coats, give it two coats. Who cares? Praise God. But it's just saying put the emphasis on spiritual things. But see, they come along and they've given all of these additions and you can't compromise on that. It's not whether you look dead and bland or not that determines whether or not God loves you. God's a spirit and he's looking at you in the spirit man. And so Paul just says, this is one of those things I don't compromise on. If anybody's preaching anything different than what I'm preaching about salvation, let him be accursed. No negotiation on this. And boy, he says some rough things. Let's turn over to chapter three. And I just want to look at this. This whole book is trying to get these people who started out just receiving salvation as a free gift. But then legalists came along who preached that you have to be circumcised. You have to keep the Jewish feast. You have to do this and this and this. And you know, there's people today that say, well, circumcision isn't a big deal. We aren't into the law. No, our laws today are that you have to be baptized in the name of Jesus only or you have to go to church, or you have to pay your tithes, or you have to do this and this and this and this before God will uh, answer your prayers. Or there's a whole group of denominations that believe if you have an unconfessed sin in your life and if you were to die, you could have been a Christian for 20 or 30 or 40 years. And if you have an unconfessed sin and don't confess that sin and die, you go to hell. And so you got to keep every sin confessed. You know, if I really believe that, the moment you get born again, I'd just kill you. Because that's the only way you'd ever get to heaven. I might go to hell, but it's the only way you'd ever make it to heaven is just to kill you before you have a chance to mess it up. If it's all dependent upon you keeping everything straight, man, you're never going to make it. And we've got all of this religious stuff today that is compromising the gospel. So here's what Paul said in Galatians chapter 3 verse 1. He said, oh foolish Galatians. Again, Paul is not sparing any words. Paul is being brutally honest because he loves these people. It says in Galatians 4, 16, he says, am I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Sometimes telling a person the truth is offensive to them, but you know what? If you love a person, you'll tell them the truth. And so Paul says, you foolish Galatians. One of the translations, I think it was the Jerusalem Bible or something says, you stupid Galatians. It says, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Boy, look at that terminology. Who hath bewitched you? It's only demonic. Brothers and sisters, it's demonic if you think that God loves you because you're lovely. And that you are trying to earn God's favor by you keeping all of these rituals and doing certain things and God owes it to you. 
It's only, it's demonic that makes people think that way. He says, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. You know what he's saying is that Paul preached the death of Jesus for our sins and he paid for our sins and he presented that so vividly to the Galatians that even though they didn't see Jesus crucified with their physical eyes, they saw it in their heart. He painted such a vivid picture. It was just like they were at the crucifixion of Jesus. That gives insight into Paul's ministry. And it also says this, that if you really understood the cross, you would never give place to all of these legalistic performance-based deceptions that Satan is presenting. Because the reason Jesus died is because we couldn't save ourselves. He was the payment for our sins. And it's his holiness that is applied to our account, not ours. Jesus didn't just pay a portion of the price. He paid it all. And you know, it's like in the Old Testament, when a person brought a sacrifice to the Lord... They had to have a lamb that was spotless and they brought it to the priest and they would hold this lamb and the priest would examine the lamb, not the person bringing the lamb. The person bringing the lamb had sin in their life. That's the reason they brought the lamb was to atone for their sin. But the priest didn't examine the person making the offering. They examined the offering and the offering had to be perfect. The offering had to be pure. And it didn't matter if the person had murdered. It didn't matter if they were an adulterer or whatever. It wasn't them that was examined. It was the offering. Jesus is our offering and God looks at Jesus. And when he sees him, he says, perfect. He says, you're forgiven because of the holiness of the lamb, not the holiness of the person who's making the offering. And yet religion, see, has in a sense diminished and decreased the cross to where, oh Jesus, yes, he died for our sins, but you've got to be holy, but God won't love you. God won't move in your life. God won't bless you. And I guarantee you, you have nothing to do with how God feels about you other than whether or not you have accepted the atonement, whether you have accepted the sacrifice, or if you reject the sacrifice, well, then you stand there on your own merits and you have to answer for everything based on your own goodness. But if you accept Jesus as your savior, if you really understood the cross that Jesus died for you, he didn't give just a portion. He gave all of his life. He paid for everything. He gave the ultimate sacrifice. There is nothing left to be paid. And anytime you think, well, yeah, Jesus died for me, but I've also got to do all of these things. You in a sense are saying that the cross isn't enough that Jesus isn't enough. I've got to add to it all of my goodness. Jesus plus anything equals nothing. But Jesus plus nothing equals everything. The moment you start adding your goodness to it, it's like a link in a chain. And you could have Jesus be nine out of 10 links, but if you are one of the links in the chain, if your goodness and if your performance is a necessity and you've got to do these things to earn the favor of God, then you've just broken that chain. That chain will not be able to pull any weight, have any pressure because we aren't worthy. And these are powerful things that he said. He says, how could, it's like you've been bewitched. 
The devil has blinded your eyes. If you understood the crucifixion, if you would just think about what Jesus paid, how could you think you have to add anything to that? Strong statement. Verse 2, he says, This only what I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? This is a no-brainer question. It was real simple. It was like nobody got the Holy Spirit because you deserved it. You just ask. It's a gift. You know, we've had over 200 people come and receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I've quoted this scripture, uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 13. If you be an evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children. How much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those that ask? You don't have to earn it. And yet there are so many people that they struggle to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit because they've been taught things like God won't fill a dirty vessel. I want you to know God hadn't got any other kind of vessel to fill. And yet there's entire denominations. You've got to have every sin confessed. You've got to get rid of everything. You've got to tarry and you've got to wail and you've got to travail and you've got to do all of these things. When the Bible says, if you just ask, he'll give it to you. That is exactly what Paul is preaching against. How did you receive the Spirit? If you truly received the Spirit, you didn't get it by bartering with God and saying, God, I've fasted, I've prayed, I've done this. Now you've got to do this. If you approach God in your own self-righteousness, that's the only thing that'll stop him. You know, a person who's lived in adultery, a person who's lied, a person who's stolen, they are prime candidates for the Holy Spirit. They need the Holy Spirit in order to break that sin and to get over it. That won't stop God from giving you the Holy Spirit. But you know what will stop God? is a holy person that is trusting in their holiness and saying, God, I deserve it. I've been holy and I've done this. You won't receive the power of the Holy Ghost. Because you're basing it on your goodness instead of receiving it as a gift. It's quiet in this Presbyterian church. But there's entire denominations preaching that you've got to be holy. You've got to get rid of all sin. If you could get holy without the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't need the Holy Spirit. How did you receive the Holy Spirit? It's no brainer. You just simply asked. It was by faith. You just believed and received. In verse 3, are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? This is a great question. How did you get born again? Was it because you'd been fasting and praying and studying the Word and going to the church and, and paying your tithes? And had you been doing all of these great things? Most of you were rank sinners. Unbelievers, you didn't have any goodness to your account. And you heard somebody say that God commended His love towards sinners. So that you could just be born again. And you said, man, that's great. I'll receive it. And you received it as a gift. That's the way you got started. But then you go to church and they tell you that unless you start reading the Bible, unless you come to church, unless you do this and this and this, God won't bless you. And you, you change. You started out receiving everything simply based on what Jesus did for you. And it was a gift. But now you get the mindset that I've got to earn it. And I've got to be holy enough for God to move in my life. Colossians chapter two, verse six says, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk ye in him. How did you receive? You received as a gift. It was just a gift. You just asked and believed and received. That's the way that you ought to receive healing is not based on your own worthiness. You know, the Bible says, agree with your adversary quickly while you're in the way. The way I interpret that is that when the devil comes and says, man, you aren't worthy, what makes you think God would use you? 
I used to get in and try and defend myself and say, wait a minute, I've been fasting this last week. I prayed, I studied the word, I did this and this and this. And the moment you start trying to justify yourself and say, I deserve it, Satan beats you because he will find something wrong with you. You aren't perfect and you'll never measure up. Now I've just come to when the devil starts condemning me and say, what makes you think you're worthy? I just say, you're right. I don't deserve it. Thank God for Jesus. I think I'll just get it through Jesus. Amen. I'll receive it as a gift. And I don't promote my own goodness and I don't promote myself. You know, it's hard to maintain this because the world doesn't operate in grace. You go to your employer on Monday and say, I heard this guy preach last week and I've now understood grace and praise God. You know, now I, I don't know if I'll show up for work or not. I just, I understand God loves me by grace. And so I may or may not be here. I might or might not work. I might take a 30 minute break instead of a 10 minute break. I think I'll just do whatever I want to. And you know what? You'll get fired. Your employer doesn't hire you by grace. Your mate doesn't treat you by grace. You go out and start treating them wrong and they'll give you what you deserve. You go out here and go to speeding and the cop stops you and he says, hey, I heard a guy talk about grace and it's not based on what I do. And you know what? They'll still give you a ticket. The world system, everything in this natural world operates on law and performance and you get what you deserve. But with God, it's different. You get what Jesus deserves and all you have to do is make him your Lord and accept it as a gift. And so there's no role model for this. And I tell you, if you aren't careful, you'll fall back into legalism. I have to fight it. As much as I've heard this and as much as I've seen it, I have to fight falling back into thinking that God's going to give me what I deserve. Because that's the way everybody else treats you. You know, I remember a time when Jamie and I were pastoring in uh, Pritchett, Colorado, and we had seen a man raised from the dead in that church. That church grew from 10 to 100 in a town of 144 people because we saw this guy raised from the dead, and it made no small stir in that little community. And they started coming by and asking me to pray for them and minister to them and explain scripture so much so that for weeks I I hadn't studied the word. I hadn't prayed except for people. I didn't have time. They would wake me up in the morning and I'd go to bed at night sometimes, you know, late at night making radio programs and doing stuff. I had no time for anything and I knew that I needed to be in the word. So I made a promise to the Lord that the next day I was going to fast and pray and study the word all day long. And I made a commitment. And then I got up and uh, somebody woke me up in the morning because they had some sickness or something. They wanted me to start praying. So I got up and started praying for people, but I didn't just pray and talk to the Lord personally. It was ministering to people. And the only time I opened my Bible that day was for people. There was a steady stream of people that came by wanting me to do something. And then for lunch, there's a guy that I had been witnessing to who came by and wanted to take me out to eat. And I thought today could be the day that this guy gets born again. And so I went out and ate with him because I thought it might uh, cause him to get born again. I'd promised I'd fast, but I ate and I was hungry because I didn't have breakfast. So I ate more than I normally did. And that evening I was going to a Bible study by myself, driving 45 miles. And on the way over there, I was thinking, oh God, I made a promise to you that I'd fast and pray and study the word. And I broke all three of them. I had Ecclesiastes 5, 5 come to my memory about it's better not to make a vow than it is to make a vow and not pay. I had the scripture come to me that all liars will have their part in the lake of fire. (laughs) 
And I was thinking all these things. I was feeling so unworthy and I was getting closer to the Bible study. And I was saying, oh God, how could you ever use me? I just broke every promise I made to you. And as I got closer to the Bible study, I said, but Father, what about the people? Even though I failed you, go ahead and flow through me and minister to the people because you love the people. And I didn't feel any great release or faith. And so I just kept praying. And finally I said, oh God, just do it because of Jesus. And as soon as I said that, the Lord spoke to me and he says, and who did you think I was going to do it because of? And I realized that, you know what, I'd slip back into a performance thing, thinking God was going to use me because I had fasted and prayed and on and on and on. Don't look at me in that tone of voice. Y'all do the same thing. You know, there's many of you, if I asked you to come up here and share in front of all these people, did you know there are some of you that God has healed you of things? You've got great testimonies. God has set you free. He's spoken the word to you. You got joy. You got, you got something that you could offer people. And yet, if I was to ask you to come up here, your first thought would be, oh, I haven't prayed. I hadn't studied. I haven't prepared. You know what that is? That's believing that God is using you according to your performance, how much you've done stuff. And that was a major hindrance with me. You got to get, you got to, as you started in the Lord, how much had you been doing all of these righteous, holy things when you got born again? Zippo, zilch, nada, you had nothing and you received the greatest miracle that you could ever receive, salvation. But now here you've got a cold and you aren't sure if God's going to heal you because you didn't study the word every day because you missed your daily Bible readings because you got mad at your wife on the way to the meeting or something like that. That's inconsistent. This is what Paul is saying. He says, how did you receive the spirit? In verse three, he says, are you so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? He therefore that ministereth to you the spirit and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Did you know most of us think that miracle workers, people that have gift of miracles, that see great things happen, we think it's because that person is so holy. I've told people before that I've seen three people raised from the dead and people just look at me like there's no way because they look on my outward self and they think you aren't special. You don't have any charisma. I don't believe God would do that for you. You look at people that have miracle ministries and then you find out that the whole time they were uh, living in adultery or something or stealing money and people think "Ah, that couldn't have been of God. Because you think that if God is using a person, this means that they've got everything right and that they're holy or God wouldn't use them. God wouldn't pour his power out through somebody who has sin in their life. God hadn't got anybody else to use. There's nobody qualified working for God. We are in varying stages of being unholy. Now, I do believe that we have a responsibility to live a relatively holy life. But you know what? I don't deserve God to use me. I haven't seen people raised from the dead because I deserved it. That's right. It's not because I deserve any of these things. And you need to recognize this and change our mindset. He says, those that are working miracles, did they do it because they deserved it? Because they earned this special power from God? Or is it just the hearing of faith? The obvious answer is it's just faith. 
And then he uses Abraham as an example in verse 6. Even as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. This word accounted right here is the exact same Greek word that was translated impute in Romans 5, 13 that I started with on Thursday night. It was imputed unto him. It was given unto him just because he believed. This is recorded in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. And Abraham had done a lot of things wrong, lied about his wife. He was a a failure in some areas. But when God says, count the stars in the sky, count count the grains of sand on the seashore. And if you can number them, so shall your seed be. Abraham believed it. And he says, I believe it. At that time, he was 70 something years old, maybe 80 years old. And he believed that as an old man, he was going to have a child. And because of it, God imputed righteousness to him. And it uses that as an example. It's amazing how we miss this. When Abraham, I mean, the Bible is very clear about showing all of the warts, all of the bad things about people. And yet we somehow or another think that Abraham was used because he was such a mighty man of God. Abraham, if he lived today, would have scandal written all over him for the way he did with his wife because he went in unto his handmaiden and had a child by her. Abraham wasn't the greatest person, but you know what? He did believe God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. In verse seven, know ye therefore that they which be of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. Those that be of faith, not those that be of performance, not those that be of law, not those that are trusting in their own holiness. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith preached before the gospel unto Abram saying in thee shall all nations be blessed. You know, there was a, there was a kernel of the gospel in what he said, because Abraham, God promised to bless him and his seed. But then he went on to say, and in you shall all nations be blessed. Not just that one nation, the Jewish nation that came out of him, but all nations Americans, English, Canadians, Mexicans, all nations would be blessed. How could that happen? And he goes on to show in this verse, it's because the promise was made to Abraham and his seed, not seeds, plural, but seed, one, Jesus. And through Jesus, any person who accepts Jesus has Abraham's blessing upon him. And this is what it's referring to. In verse nine, it says, so then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham, not those that be of law. Again, if you were to take this in a total context and study the book of Galatians, the whole thing is contrasting the New Testament grace and the Old Testament law, people that remove from the gospel into a perversion of the gospel. And so here, when it says, if you are of faith, you're blessed with Abraham, it's highlighting that if you are of performance, if you are trying to earn God's favor through all of your goodness, that is the very thing that is stopping the goodness of God in your life. Sin won't stop God from blessing you, but self-righteousness will. Trusting in yourself will. Strong statements. I'd get kicked out of 99.9% of all churches for saying that. That's one reason I have to rent an auditorium. That's true. I've, I've been kicked out of a lot of churches. I've been taken off of television. I've been criticized a lot for saying right here what the Bible says. It says, verse 10, for as many as of the works of the law are under the curse. 
For it is written, cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in this book of the law to do them. That's a quotation from Deuteronomy 27, verse 26. Verse, Deuteronomy 27 split the nation of Israel into two parts and had half of the tribes stand on one mountain, Mount Gerizim, the other on Mount uh, Ebal, I think it was. And Moses would sit there and some of them would pronounce the blessings and the other pronounce the curse. And they spoke all of these curses that would come upon you if you didn't do the right things. And then the last verse of Deuteronomy 27, verse 26 says, everybody had to say, cursed is everyone who continues not in everything that is written in this book of the law. It's not a matter of you passing a test and doing 90 out of a hundred things. You have to do a hundred out of a hundred things. You have to make a hundred on this test or instead of getting the blessing, you get the curse. And this is what he's referring to. He says that, don't you understand what the law was saying? It curses you unless you live perfectly. The only person to ever live perfectly was Jesus. And every one of us, if you were trying to approach God based on your own goodness, you're under a curse. The law doesn't say do the best you can. If you get 90%, you pass. No, you have to make 100. 99.9, you fail. You go to hell. You do not pass go. You do not collect $200. You go directly to hell. It's amazing how religion has missed this. That's amazing. In verse nine, it says, so then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident for the just shall live by faith. That's a quotation from Hebrews chapter two, I mean, uh, Habakkuk chapter two and verse four. It's an Old Testament prophecy. Even under the Old Testament, it prophesied the end of itself and it said that people are going to be justified by faith. The people who get justified are going to be justified by faith. And it says no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. The law wasn't given to justify you, to make you right with God. The law was given to condemn you and to make you see your sin and to bring you to the end of yourself, to kill you, to strengthen sin. I used all of those scriptures yesterday. Man, a lot of scriptures about it. The law wasn't given to bring you salvation. It was given to bring you your need for salvation, to show it to you and bring you to the end of yourself. You cannot be justified by the law. And look at this verse in verse 12. And the law is not of faith. One radical statement. The law is not of faith. Romans 14, 23 says whatsoever is not of faith. It's either Romans 14, 23 or James 4, 17. I forget. Could you bring that up? Romans 14, 23. What does that say? Glory. Here. Here it is. I think that was it. Romans 14, 23, he that doubteth is damned if he eat because he eateth not of faith for whatsoever is not of faith is sin. The law is not of faith. The law is sin for the New Testament believer. It's not sin if you'd use it for what it's intended for. If you use it to show their person their need for the Lord, then it's okay. But it is sin for you to try and relate to God based on your performance and earn the favor of God. That's sin. What a radical statement. 
The vast majority of churches are preaching sin because they're preaching that God won't heal you unless you do this, this, and this. God won't answer your prayer if you haven't fasted and prayed and if you haven't done this. That's law and it's sin. I don't know if you're receiving everything I'm saying, but if you could understand this and just go back and think about all of the religious teaching and training you've had, man, it's a wonder that we've seen as much as we've seen because we are living in sin. We are living under the old covenant. We are rejecting the grace and the goodness of God. Paul is just making this so clear. It's amazing to me how people miss this when the Bible is so chuck full of this. But like I've said, often most people don't let the Bible get in the way of what they believe. They just believe something because it's what's been taught them. The law is not of faith. In verse 13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. Man, that's a great statement. The law condemned us and placed a punishment upon everything. Christ redeemed us from that. He bore my curse so that I don't have to do it. You know, I'm not going to turn over there just for time's sake, but Deuteronomy chapter 28 starts off by saying, and it shall come to pass. If thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe and to do according to all his commandments, which I command you this day, then all of these blessings will come upon you and overtake you if you hearken diligently unto all of these commands. And people will preach that and say, the reason you aren't blessed, the reason you haven't gotten all of these blessings yet is because you just haven't hearkened diligently enough. And they'll stand up there. You need to increase your prayer time for 30 minutes to an hour a day. You need to come to church twice a week instead of once a week. You need to read through the Bible twice a year instead of once a year. Just try harder. And yet that verse makes it very clear that you are cursed if you don't continue in all of the things written in this law. Nobody can keep that. Nobody can do that. The way that a New Testament believer should read Deuteronomy 28, 1 and 2 is to say, and it is coming to pass since Jesus hearkened diligently unto the voice of the Lord his God to observe and to do according to all of the commandments. And because I now have him that removed all of the curse from me and obtained the blessing and through him, I now obtain those things. That's the way the New Testament believer should read this. And yet people... Read these scriptures without the filter of the New Testament and it's, oh man, I got to try harder. Here's the reason I'm not getting. That's the reason God hadn't answered my prayer. And it just puts you further and further and further into unbelief, trusting in yourself and wondering why God hadn't moved. Man, we need a New Testament revelation. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the spirit through faith. Well, what a tremendous passage that is. It's by faith. It's by trusting in Jesus, not by you being holy and earning all of these things. In verse uh, 15, brethren, I speak after the manner of men. In other words, he says, I'm going to use some carnal reasoning here. Since y'all aren't spiritual, since you aren't thinking Spiritually, I'll use natural reasoning. And he says, though it be a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto. Now to Abraham and his seed where the promise is made, he said not, and to seeds, plural as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. And this I say, the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, can not disannul, 
that it should make the promise of none effect. All of this is referring back to it says that we've received the blessing of Abraham. Abraham, Genesis 15, 6, believed God and it was counted to him. It was imputed unto him for righteousness. He became righteous through what he believed, not through his actions. And he says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law so that this blessing of being righteous through faith, faith righteousness could be imputed unto us. And now he uses an example that Genesis 15, 6 is 430 years before the giving of the law. Exodus chapter 40 and verse or excuse me, Exodus chapter 12, verse 40 says that. It was exactly 430 years to the day after this promise was made to Abraham that he would receive faith righteousness. Exactly 430 years to the day is when they came out of the land of Egypt under Moses. And this is what he's referring to. And and the covenant of the law was given through Moses. So the first covenant of being in right standing with God by faith existed first. Therefore, it has preeminence, precedent over any subsequent law. And the law of the Ten Commandments that was given 430 years later cannot void or nullify the covenant that was made with Abraham. That's the point that he's making. So Abraham's covenant was in place first. God justified people by faith before he ever gave the law. And it says here that to Abraham and his seed, singular, not seeds, plural. The law wasn't given, this blessing of being justified wasn't given to Abraham's physical descendants, just the Jews. It was given to Abraham's single descendant, seed, singular, which it says here is Christ. Abraham and his seed were blessed. That's Christ. And Jesus is the one who inherited all of the blessings of God And Jesus has made them all available to us based only on whether or not we put faith in him. It's not based on our performance. If you have accepted Jesus as your Lord, then you are blessed with faithful Abraham. As long as you stay in grace and don't get into law and into works and in performance and thinking that you have to earn the favor of God. That's the point that he's making in verse 18. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Right here, it's very obvious that you can't receive the inheritance by law and promise. It's one or the other, not a combination of the two. In Romans chapter 11, verse six, it says, either you're saved by grace without law, otherwise grace is no more grace, or you're saved by law, works without grace. Otherwise works is no more works. That's old English for just saying it's one or the other. It's not a combination of the two. It's not what Jesus did. Plus you have to add your goodness to it. It's either one or the other law or grace, but not a combination of the two. In verse 19, wherefore then serveth the law? That's a good question. If you make, if you understand all of these things that we've said, and it's by grace and you can't earn it. Well, then what was the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgressions. Notice the term added. In other words, there was already a system in place to make us righteous in right standing with God. It was faith, but the law was added to that uh, till the seed should come. And the seed in verse 16 says was Jesus. The law was only temporary until Jesus came. The scripture says that all of the law and the prophets were until John. 
And since then, the kingdom of heaven is preached. That's out of Matthew chapter 11. There's many scriptures that talk about the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus. The law was only intended to be in effect until the seed should come, until Jesus could come and bring in the new covenant. God never wanted people to live under the law. The Jewish nation he put under the law to restrict the amount of sin so that he could preserve a seed so that there would be a virgin left for Jesus to be born through. But he never intended for the Gentiles to live under this law. Boy, these are awesome statements. Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. That's kind of a misleading statement. I've got a great revelation on that, but I'm not going to spend 30 minutes to share it with you. That is a powerful truth right there. In verse 21, it says, Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there could have been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ... Boy, that is powerful. Not faith in Jesus Christ, but faith of Jesus Christ. You are saved by his faith, not by your faith in him. Boy, that's a great truth. Made in Galatians chapter 2, verse 16 through 20. Lots of places in scripture make that same point. Most people miss it. But it says, um, where was I reading? 22, but the scripture hath concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. You know, the law was like something that just shut you up. Like for the people who said, you know, I know that I shouldn't beat my wife anymore. I promise I'm not going to beat my wife. I'm making a new year's resolution. And so they start in this direction and here's the law just condemning you, building a wall there that you can't get over. And so you say, well, I failed in that. And so I'm going to, I'm going to promise I won't dip or cuss or chew, praise God. I'm going to go this direction. And here's the law condemning you. The law just hemmed you in. It shut you up so that the only way you could look was up and say, God, everywhere I turn, I'm guilty. I can't overcome anything. The law just makes me sin more. The law makes me lust for all of these things. God have mercy on me, a sinner. That's the point of the law. It's to hem you up, to shut you up is what these verses are talking about. So it, uh, we were kept under the law, shut up under the faith, which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. It drove you to the end of yourself to where you said, I just can't do it. And you had to trust God. That was the only option left. And it says in verse 25, but after that faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. The previous verse, the law was our schoolmaster. Now it says we are no longer under the schoolmaster. We are no longer under the law. And yet brothers and sisters, most people in this room spend a lot of your time under the law thinking that you have to please God and thinking, I know God won't move in my life. It's not that God won't move. It's that you won't believe he'll move because you don't believe you're worthy. And you stop the power of God because you just don't feel worthy. And your own conscience bears witness that you aren't worthy. 
And so we feel that until I overcome this, until I do more of this, God won't heal me. You will sit there and look at somebody like me and say, well, you know, God answers your prayer, but you're closer to God. You have more of this or that. The ground is even at the foot of the cross. There's nobody that has a step up on anybody else. I don't have any more access to God than any person in here has. But we put people into the category of clergy and laity. And some people are just holier and God answers their prayer. And that thinking is what's keeping you from receiving from God. Because your own conscience. See, you know you better than you know me. If you knew me as well as you know you, you wouldn't have any more faith in my prayers than you got in your prayers. But you know you and you know that there's things wrong with you and your heart is just constantly condemning you because it's been activated and empowered and emboldened by the law and you just don't have any confidence. If you were to understand that it's not you, it's your relationship to Jesus and Jesus purchased it for you based on his goodness. All you got to do is believe and receive. That's all you've got to do. If you could understand that, every person in here could start seeing the blind eyes open, deaf ears open, miracles happen. That isn't just for the super saint. Every Joe Blow believer should start seeing these miracles happen. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 12, Jesus said, verily, verily, I say unto you, that means truly, truly. Everything Jesus said was true, but he knew people were going to struggle with this. And so he started it off by saying, I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you the truth. He that believes on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do because I go unto my father. That's to Joe Blow Believer. That's to every one of us. Every one of us in here should be doing the same works that Jesus did because we got his righteousness. We get things on the basis of his goodness. It has nothing to do with you and how holy you are. Man, that's awesome. If you could believe that, you could walk out of here and start receiving anything because most of you, you believe God can do anything. The problem isn't you're doubting that God's ability What you doubt is God's willingness to use his ability on your behalf because you know you don't deserve it. And so you'll come to somebody else who you think does deserve it and ask them to pray for you. Maybe God will do it for them. I've actually had people come to me before and say, I've prayed and God hadn't done it for me. Maybe he'll do it for you. And I've stopped them right there. And I said, you know what? With that attitude, neither one of us are going to see anything happen. I said, you are sitting here basing everything on somehow or another you And how holy you are. I said, that's not faith. That's faith in yourself, not faith in a savior. I won't pray for you. Man, it's powerful stuff. In verse 26, but after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. For you are all the children of God by faith. In Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Jesus have put on Christ have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. You could say there's neither holy nor unholy. There is neither righteous nor unrighteous. We're all righteous in Christ. We're all holy through what he's done, but we are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ, apostrophe S, this means possessive. If you belong to Christ, Then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Who is Abraham's seed? Verse 16 says, and to his seed, singular, Christ. 
This is saying, if you are belong to Christ, then are you Abraham's seed? Then are you Christ is what this is saying. God looks at you exactly the same as he looks at Jesus. Not because you deserve it, not because your actions are the same as Jesus, but when you get born again, and I believe this is what I'm going to minister on this evening because I've been dancing around this all week long. It's, this is just something that changed my life to understand that it's in your spirit that you're changed. In your spirit, you're brand new. In your spirit, you are as pure, as righteous, as holy as Jesus is. You have his mind, you have his anointing, you have the same anointing on you that was upon Jesus. You are identical in your spirit to Jesus. And some people just, I can't believe that because you go look in a mirror and you think this can't be like Jesus. You see zits and wrinkles and bald and ugly and you just think this can't be like Jesus. But it's not your physical body that he's talking about. And then people search their emotions and they think, well, man, I'm discouraged and I'm fearful and I have all of these problems and stuff. That's your soul. But there is a spirit part of you that is identical to Jesus. You have his righteousness, his holiness. And the key to the Christian life is getting out of your natural self, your actions and your thoughts and beginning to live your life based on who you are in the spirit. John 4, 24 says, uh, God is a spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. In spirit, you are identical to Jesus. So when you are worshiping him, you come before him and say, Father, thank you that through Jesus, I'm righteous, I'm holy, I'm pure. I've got the same power that raised Christ from the dead. The works that he did, I can do also. That's in the spirit. When you come and say, oh God, I'm so unworthy and God, I don't deserve anything. That's in the flesh. Your flesh makes mistakes. Your flesh is doing things wrong. You aren't the person that you should be and are going to be in your flesh, but in your spirit, you're identical to Jesus. When you come before talking about, oh God, this person said this and my feelings are hurt, you're in the flesh. Your spirit never gets hurt. Your spirit doesn't have bad emotions. When you are depressed and discouraged, you're in the flesh. You've solved the problem. Get out of the flesh and into who you are in Christ. But see, most people don't know who they are in Christ. They think that that person they see in the mirror and the the way that they think in their mind and in their emotions is the real them. That's not you. God is a spirit. And if you're going to really connect with God and see the power of God work, you got to get into your spirit, who you are in Christ. You got to change identities. Man, that's powerful. I tell you what, I've said enough this morning to keep you busy the rest of your life. That's true. These are things that I started seeing 40 something years ago and I'm still meditating on it. And every time I do, I'm getting a little better revelation, more understanding, more into the spirit, more to where I see that this is who I am and less based on my performance. But I've been at it for 40 years and you know what? I'm still at it. You aren't going to get there in the next 10 minutes or in the next 10 days. That doesn't mean you have to be as slow as I am. I didn't have anybody teaching me this stuff. 
And so you can cover the ground. I've got people, I've got some people that are out running our Bible schools that are doing things in 10 years. Well, it's less than 10 years, five, six years that it took us 20 and 30 years to figure out and to get there. You can do it quicker, but there still is a process. You, it takes a renewing of your mind. And like I said, because of the fact that the whole world operates off performance, your marriage, your job, the police, everything is based on performance. It's like there is no role model for this. There is no way to get this reinforced other than being in the word, letting the Holy Spirit show you. And it just takes a lot of effort. It's like a coal in a fire. If you separate it from that fire and put it over there, it may be burning, but it's just a matter of time until it'll cool off. It needs, it needs to be constantly fanned and, and, and uh, fired up to maintain this, this uh, revelation. And the things that you're hearing right here, I've never heard anybody teach this. I've heard one other person that teaches very similar to it that I think got it from me. Amen. But I've never heard anybody else teach this stuff. Now, I've heard lots of people, and there are a lot of ministers now that uh, are preaching similar things. But I'm saying, I didn't learn this from somebody, and you aren't going to hear this often enough. And yet, I've used an abundance of scriptures. I've used more scriptures today and last night probably than most people do. I've used hundreds of scriptures throughout this teaching, and yet it's amazing how people just still aren't going to let the scripture impact them. I'm telling you, this takes effort to renew your mind. It's, it's like the whole world, the whole religious world is going this direction, and this is the way that the gospel is. It's an opposite direction, but it's well worth the effort. I'd encourage you to put the effort into it. And the good news is God wants you to know this. And the Holy Spirit is sent to teach you these things and to lead you into all truth and to bring all things to your remembrance. Whatsoever Jesus spoke to you, John 14, 26. So there is no reason you can't do this other than the fact that it's just, it uh, takes effort to be different than everybody else. It's going to take time to change your thinking from the way that it's been. And it takes effort. And praise God, it's well worth the effort. So I encourage you to go to the effort of renewing your mind. And if you'll do this, it just, it makes you free. It really makes you free. You know, I had somebody get really offended this last week and write me an email. And you know what? I was wrong. And that bothers me. I don't want to be wrong. I don't want to misrepresent God. I don't want to do things wrong. And man, I, it's a small thing, but it's the same thing that I'm talking to you about. You know what I had to do this week? I had to sit there and say, Father, I'm sorry. And praise God that I know who I am in Christ and that you don't use me because I deserve it. Praise God that you love me in spite of who I am, not because of who I am. And I went back to who I am in Christ and got to looking at who I am. And even though I blow it, God still loves me. And I have to operate in this exact same thing I tell everybody else. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, you need to understand that it's not based on your performance. You may be at the top of your game right now and think, oh, I'm really doing good. But you know, one of the things that blessed me was when I started in ministry, I started in nursing homes. And I saw people that were the mover and the shakers of this generation. But sooner or later, if nothing else, 
if the Lord tarries and you live old enough, someday you're going to not be at the top of your game and you aren't going to be able to trust in your own performance. You will come to the end of yourself sooner or later. And it's actually a blessing when you come to the end of yourself and just start finding out that, praise God, it's not who I am, it's who Jesus is in me. It's who I am in Christ. And that's a, that's a wonderful place to be. It just sets you up free. Isn't that awesome? Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters right now, and I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would make this a revelation that people would understand that, Father, we would be like the Galatians, that we would receive this revelation, that we would go back to how we started receiving the free gift of salvation, not based on our goodness. Father, help us now to receive your love and your blessings and your answer to prayer, not based on our own goodness, but instead on what Jesus has done for us. Father, I thank you, and I believe that your Holy Spirit is here to reveal this unto people. And that, Father, we're going to walk free. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Mark chapter 7, verse 13 says, Traditions and doctrines of man make the word of none effect. There are some of you right now that you've been taught one way in a tradition through a denomination. You've been taught something and it's right now tending to make this word of none effect. You know what? You need to make a decision in Romans 3, 4 that says, Let God be true and every man a liar. Amen. You just right now, some of you, I believe that this is the Holy Spirit speaking to me. Some of you need to say right now, Father, I've seen it in the Word and I don't care what my tradition is. I don't care what I was taught or how well-meaning the people are. I'm going to let God be true and every man a liar. I am not going to let any tradition or doctrine of man stop this word from having impact in my life. Some of you need to do that right now in your heart. You just need to make a commitment. It says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, God is faithful and just to keep that which we commit. He keeps what you commit. No committing, no keeping. You need to make a commitment right now. Father, I'm going to let your word be true. And every man a liar, every doctrine a lie, every church a lie. I'm not against the church. I'm just saying that there's a lot of churches that aren't preaching the right message. We've got to to go with the Word of God above the opinion of men. Father, I just pray that every single person here makes this decision, this commitment, that we are going to let your Word be true in every man, every doctrine, every tradition alive. Father, we believe that you love us because you are love, not because we are lovely. Thank you, Father. And we receive your unconditional, no qualifications love right now, that you are just loving people right now because they've put faith in Jesus. Even those that have severe problems, even those that are still yielding to the devil, that are failing in any area, Father, thank you that you love them just as if they had never sinned through Jesus. And Father, I believe that that love will break the dominion of sin and bring them out from under that bondage. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we agree and we receive your love. Thank you, Father, that it's not up to us to save ourselves or keep ourselves saved. Thank you that we are in your keeping. Thank you, Heavenly Father. 
Father, we agree and we receive that and thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me ask again today, is there anybody here who's not born again? You know, I've been talking to Christians, but man, if you aren't born again, if you've never known Jesus, maybe you are trying to be a good person and earn your salvation. And today you've come to the end of yourself and say, man, I I need to be saved. I need to receive it as a gift. It's not something you're working towards. It's not at the end of your life. You just, you know, there's a balance there. And if your good works outweigh your bad works, then you're saved. No, it's all based on, have you made Jesus your personal savior? If you've never done that, you need to do that today. You need to be born again. And then once you're born again, you also need to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You need to speak in tongues. And I've been emphasizing speaking in tongues, but I've also emphasized that you cannot receive revelation of this truth of the gospel without the Holy Spirit. This does not make sense to the natural mind. Everything in the natural works on performance. This has to be a supernatural revelation that God loves you by grace, not based on what you do. And so if you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's impossible for you to retain this. You'll lose it. And even with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you have to activate it. You have to speak in tongues. You have to seek God and pursue it for this revelation to continue. But you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit because it says in John 14, 26, but when the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, has come, He will teach you all things and lead you into all truth and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have spoken unto you. The Holy Spirit's job is for instruction, revelation, to bring things to your remembrance. You just can't do this on your own. You need the revelation of the Holy Spirit. So is there anybody here who would say, I need one or both of those. I either need to be born again, make Jesus my Savior, or I'm already born again, but I need this baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'd like to speak in tongues and have this revelation. Anybody here like that? If that's you, I want you to raise your hand and I'd like to pray with you and help you to receive. Anybody? Here's a few hands back here. Praise God. Here's some over here. We've already seen over 200 people Baptizing the Holy Spirit about, I think it was eight people that have been born again. But this is so important. Every person, every person needs to be born again, baptized in the Holy Spirit. That is for everyone. And I just don't want to let a service go without giving people that opportunity because you've got to start here. This is baby stuff, foundational stuff. If you raised your hand or if you were supposed to raise your hand but didn't do it, would you just get up out of your chair and come forward and let us pray with you right now and help you to receive. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Just stand here facing me. Face me. We're going to have some people come stand behind you and lay hands on you. Hey, God bless you. God bless you. Thanks for coming. There was more that raised your hand. Where are you? Come down here and let's pray with you. Praise the Lord. You know, there's always some people that hang back and they say, well... I don't speak in tongues. I don't have this Holy Spirit, but I'm just not sure. 
And then they'll come up after the service and ask me about it. You know what? I'm not going to pray with you after the service. I'm not. You can think that's hard or whatever, but right now God is calling you. Somebody says, but I I just, you know, what if I go down there and nothing happens? I can guarantee you if you don't come down here, nothing's going to happen. Man, it's, you know, you need to just go ahead and do it. I've had people come up and say, but I'm old. Well, you're going to be old whether you come down here or not. Amen. That doesn't have anything to do with anything. You know, if you feel a tugging in your heart, if you know that you don't speak in tongues and that there's more than what you've got, you ought to be down here. You ought to take the risk. All we're going to do is help you. We're going to give you a book. We're going to pray for you. We'll answer your questions. There may be somebody who says, well, I've received this prayer before, but I still don't speak in tongues. Well, you ought to come down here and let us help you. I've got a book that will explain. Nobody had a harder time speaking in tongues than I did. It took me three and a half years after I prayed for the baptism of the Holy Spirit before I spoke in tongues, but that's because I was a Baptist. And I had so much fear put in me that this was of the devil that I just was afraid that the devil was going to make me talk in tongues. Anyway, I've got all my questions answered and now I speak in tongues with the best of them. And I've written it in a book and it'll help you. And I promise you, we can help you to speak in tongues. We've had thousands and thousands and thousands of people speak in tongues. Anybody else? Praise God. Here comes another brother. Isn't this great? Praise the Lord. I'm going to take just a moment here, but the Lord's speaking to me that there's three people sitting out there that God is talking to you. And for whatever reason, you're holding back. God is holding this whole service up for three of you that he wants down here. Here's one. Here's two. Here's three. Here's four. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. All right, before you can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, you have to receive the giver of the Holy Spirit, which is Jesus. The Bible says He is the one who gives the Holy Spirit. So is there anybody who's not absolutely certain whether or not you've got Jesus living in your heart? Anybody. If you aren't certain, we can pray with you first and you can be born again and then receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Anybody. Are all of you sure? You know, there's so many people that just hope that they're saved. They're trying, and, and, but they don't have an assurance. The Bible says you know that you've passed from death unto life. If you are truly born again, there's no hoping, wishing. You know that you're saved. You know that Jesus has come into your life. Anybody here who's not sure? Everybody here is sure? You aren't sure? We'll pray with you. Anybody else? If you were to stand before God right now and if he said, what makes you worthy? Would you point to yourself and something that you've been doing, your church attendance, being a good person, or would you say it's Jesus? If you point to yourself in any way, I don't care how good you are, that's the wrong answer. You've got to put your faith in Jesus. Anybody else? Anybody else? I'm not trying to talk you out of it. I just want you to be sure. There's so many religious people today that don't know for sure. All right, we're going to pray with this one young man and I'd like everybody to repeat after me so that he won't feel like we're just listening to him. And I'm going to say the words that you need to say. 
And if you will say these words and mean it in your heart, it's not magic. You have to believe it. But if you will believe it with your heart, you'll be born again. Is that a good deal? How old are you? I was eight when I got born again. So you know what? I believe that you are well capable of receiving this. Praise God. Amen. So let's everybody pray this. Say, Father, I'm sorry for my sin. I believe Jesus died to forgive my sin. And I receive that forgiveness. Jesus, I make you my Lord. I believe that you are alive. And that you now live in me. I am saved. I am forgiven. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You believe that? Welcome. You are now a member of the body of Christ. You're completely changed on the inside. It took me 10 years to start learning what happened to me, but I'm going to give you a book that'll help you. Now, all of us up here are the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's what the Bible says. Once you get born again, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God created you to fill with the Holy Spirit. That's, that's important because He's the one that created you for this purpose. There is no way that God is going to deny you the Holy Spirit. This is what you were made for. So we aren't going to beg and we aren't going to plead. And I talked about this some today, but you don't have to get rid of every sin in your life. If you could get holy without the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't need the Holy Spirit. If you've got problems, that's not going to stop God from filling you. He wants to fill you to give you power. And I tell you, this is going to make a difference. So we're just going to ask one time. And then I'm going to ask our prayer ministers, if they would, to come up here and stand behind you because the Bible says that through the laying on of hands, the Holy Spirit was given. And so we're going to ask, then they're going to lay hands on you and release this power into your body. And then I want you to quit asking and just take a step of faith and say, thank you that I received. The Bible says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? All you got to do is ask and believe. So we're going to ask, but then you take a step of faith and start thanking God that He gave you the Holy Spirit, whether you feel anything or not. And then those of us that already have the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues, we will start praying in tongues because the Bible says that when you pray in tongues, you're giving thanks unto God. So we're going to start thanking God in this language. It bypasses all of the questions and the doubt that's in your mind. And we're going to start talking in this uh, language that the Holy Spirit gives. And if you're ready, you can speak in tongues with us. Somebody says, well, does everybody speak in tongues? Yeah. It's like getting a pair of tennis shoes. They all come with tongues. Amen. God will give every one of you this ability to speak in tongues. Every one of you. But he won't take your mouth and make it talk. You have to speak and by faith believe that it's the Holy Spirit that's inspiring it. It says in Acts 2, 4, they spoke with tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. The Holy Spirit doesn't speak in tongues. He inspires you. You have to do the talking. It's like when I spoke today. I believe that God spoke through me, but he didn't take my mouth and make it talk. That's the reason it came out in Texan. That's the reason it came out with my sense of humor. It was me talking, but I believe God inspired it. 
Speaking in tongues is like that. You speak, but you believe that the Holy Spirit's inspiring it. And I've got a book that will explain all of this and it'll help you, but that's what we're going to do. And if you're ready, you can speak in tongues right now. Everybody ready? The Bible says believers will speak with new tongues. I want you to say, I'm a believer. And I will speak in tongues. Father, I thank you for all of these. Thank you that we are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. That, Father, you created us to fill with your power and that we could live supernaturally, not by our own strength or power, but through the strength of your Holy Spirit. We open up the doors of our life. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, to come into our heart and to fill us with your power. We ask for that, believing that you give to those who ask. Now we lay hands on you and say, receive the Holy Spirit in the name of the Lord Jesus. We loose this power into you right now. And Father, we just thank you that your Holy Spirit is flowing into their hearts, filling them with your power. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Now I want you to lift your hands, just like when somebody sticks a gun in your back and you go, I surrender. I want you to lift these hands. The Bible says when you lift your hands, you bless the Lord. And let's start thanking God that he gave you the Holy Spirit. Quit asking and by faith thank him that his word is true. Thank you, Father, that we receive the Holy Spirit. From this time forth, we are filled with your power. Now, those of you that know how to pray in tongues, let's begin to start praying in tongues and thanking God in our heavenly language. And as we speak in tongues, you can speak with us. You just start speaking right now. You can't talk in tongues with your mouth closed. You got to open your mouth. You got to talk. You know, if you don't know what to say, you can try and say what you hear the person behind you saying. And some people find that offensive and think, well, I want my own gift of speaking in tongues. I can promise you, you can't say what somebody else is saying. It'll come out different. But you got to start. You got to start trying to say something. And if you would just start, and when it comes out different, don't quit. Just keep talking. Just keep talking. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we just receive this right now. I thank you that people are being inspired and given the power and the unction by the Holy Spirit to pray in tongues right now. Thank you, Jesus. Be bold with it. Just talk. You may not understand what you're saying. Well, you don't understand what you're saying. But you know what? In the Bible says you are speaking hidden wisdom. You're praying from your spirit. You're bypassing your brain. That's why this is so important. It's so powerful. It's because it gets you out of the natural and it gets you into the spirit. Just keep speaking right now. That's it. You don't know what you're doing, but you know what? You're bypassing your brain. You're talking to God out of your spirit. You're worshiping God in spirit and in truth. The Bible says when you pray in tongues, you edify yourself. You build yourself up on your most holy faith and you keep yourself in the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord. You believe you got the Holy Spirit? You aren't sure? I do. I believe you do too. You just need to speak. I've got a book that's going to help you. Let me have your attention here for just a moment. 
Sorry to interrupt you, but you know, it is super important that you understand what's happened to you. Most of you, this, this is different, it's strange, and um, you don't have a full understanding. But I promise you, whether you spoke in tongues or not, I believe God gave you the Holy Spirit because He said He would give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. I'm not speaking in tongues right now because you know what? I can control it. And there are some of you that may not have spoken in tongues and think, well, I didn't receive. No, God gave it to you. You just have to learn how to release it. And I've written a lot of things in a book that will help you. And I really want you to get the full impact. This could change your life more than anything since being born again. Actually, this could change your life outwardly more than being born again. Being born again is important. That's where you receive everything. But when you receive the Holy Spirit, it's when you receive power to release it. So this could make an outward difference in your life bigger than anything you've ever had. But you've got to understand it. So I'd like to give you a book. And we've got Ashley right here, the young man with the Bible up. He's going to take you to a room and give you a free book that will explain this. And also they have people there that if you have questions, they will answer your questions. They'll pray with you if you have a need for prayer, healing, any way we can help you. There's people there that will help you. But I really would like you to go with Ashley and get this book so that you can get the maximum benefit out of this. Amen. Praise the Lord. Isn't this awesome? Thank you, Jesus. It'll only take a moment. It'll only take a moment and they'll give you this book. We just want you to get the full benefit out of this. This is more important than what any of these people recognize right now. They need to study the Word and understand what God has done for them. Isn't that great? Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. These are our prayer ministers down here. We've been seeing a lot of miracles. You heard Melinda give testimony about great things. I mean, people taking hearing aids out and able to hear. People coming out of wheelchairs. Arthritis being healed. All kinds of things happening. So if you need prayer today, please come forward and let one of our prayer ministers here agree with you and pray with you. And we're going to see miracles happen. If you need prayer for anything, just come right now. Don't forget that we have this meeting about our Carious Bible College. And I think that there's many of you that God would speak to about coming to that. And they're having that in the Duluth room right over here someplace. And if you will find that... Um, we would love to share with you about what God's doing at Caris Bible College and maybe God wants you to come and be a part of it. Amen. So thanks for coming. Remember that tonight our service is at 6 p.m. instead of 7. We're going to start at 6 p.m. so that my crew can take down all of the equipment and leave a little bit earlier. So we start at 6 p.m. tonight. Don't forget that we have DVDs and CDs of the meeting already available out there. Please get them all of the other material. Remember the ambassadors to the nations. If you'd like to sponsor one of those children, praise God. Thanks for coming. God bless you. Father, we just praise you. Thank you, Father, that you love every single person up here. Father, you've already anticipated their problems. 
whatever's wrong with them. Father, thank you that you've already healed them. You provided the answer before they had a question. We agree and we receive it and we release your healing power to flow towards every one of these right now in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Heavenly. 